0: The question I'd like to start off with this morning is this. Is it better to be loved or feared? Niccolo Machiavelli, the Italian diplomat, the Italian politician, historian, philosopher, playwright, on and on and on. He's known as the father of modern political science. He said this, it is best to be both feared and loved. However, if one cannot be both, it is better to be feared than loved. In a different quote, he says this Men love according as they please, and fear according to the will of the prince. A wise prince should establish himself on that which he controls, and not in that which others control. He must endeavor only to avoid being hated. So the idea is this, since you can't control who loves you, you should focus on what you can control, and that is making sure that they fear you. This is the way a ruler should rule. Some of you remember that 1959 movie. It's a classic Ben-Hur. And there's the scene where Judah and his sister and his mom, they've been taken captive by the Roman centurions. And now they're, they're, he, Ben-Hur, Judah, he's facing his childhood friend. And, 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 he, and he, says, he says, for the love of God, why? Why are you doing that? this? And to that, Masala replies By condemning an old friend without hesitation, I will be feared. Want respect? Want obedience? Dads? <laughs> Strike fear in the hearts of people. And that is exactly what you will have. But my question is Is, is that what God was trying to accomplish in the flood? Is that why he sent the the flood? Create this sense of shock and awe like the world has never before seen so that you compel people to fear you, compel people toward obedience. Let them know who's boss and they'll think twice before crossing you again. Is that what he wanted to accomplish? That's not that much unlike Lamech. We talked about him again last week. We were reminded, he says to his wives, he says, Ada, Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy sevenfold see Lamech wanted his ruthlessness to be known he wanted everyone to know that their lives they really meant nothing to him he would wipe anyone out so much as they just lifted a finger against him they would face his wrath is that what God was trying to accomplish in the flood These human beings, they they completely lost sight of who was in charge, of who was boss, and God needed to set the record straight here. Their lives really meant nothing to him. Is God trying to say, look, I I just wiped out every single living thing here. You need to think twice before crossing me. Because whether or not you live or die, that's really not all that important to me. I just want to make sure that you fear me. And aren't we told in Proverbs? I think we just read it earlier this morning. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Again, in Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Maybe that's all that God wants. Maybe human life isn't all that important to him. Maybe he'll sacrifice any number of human lives so long as that leads them to fear him. Do human lives matter to God? That's our big question for this morning. And we're going to take a look at the conversation that God has with Noah, and we're going to get a very clear picture of where God stands on this issue. So if you haven't turned there already, Genesis 9, and we're going to look starting in verse 1. Would you stand with me as we read from God's word? And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And for man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Verse 7. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I will establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as come out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I will establish my covenant with you that I will, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall... Shall there be a flood to destroy the earth? And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I've set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So you probably know the answer to the question. Do human lives matter to God? Based on this, absolutely. Life is precious to God. In no uncertain terms, God makes it clear to Noah, human life is so precious. He's not indifferent to life. He is pro-life. And he says that loud and clear in these blessings of the covenant that he establishes with Noah and all the earth. Verse 1 says, God blessed Noah and his sons. As if he had not already done enough for him, right? Protecting him, bringing bringing him through those waters of judgment. God brought him through the storm and now he goes out of his way to bless him to establish a covenant with this family. If you're not familiar with the term covenant, covenant's an agreement between two parties. And it specifies the requirements for at least one of those parties. So when God makes a covenant with Noah and all flesh on earth and Noah's family, it's a promise. God is making a promise to them. He's letting them know how things are going to operate from now on how God is going to treat life. He's making provisions for a good future. He's making provisions for life. How did he bless them? There are different ways that that scholars uh, slice up this passage. I'm highlighting four blessings this morning that I see here. Blessing number one is this. He wants to encourage them to populate the earth. He wants to encourage them to produce life. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That shouldn't sound like a surprise to any of you. This has already been said before. This is part of the original plan. And God wants Noah to know, my plan still stands. Genesis 1.28, he said it. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth see god hasn't given up on his plans for his creatures he hasn't given up on it at all he wants them to fill the earth completely and for human beings he wants them to fill the earth as his representatives people made in his image some might think that after having brought the flood, God would have been over this little experiment. I tried it, human beings, everything went south, and now we gotta have some some plan B here. We started out with these people and it's just not working out. Let's do round two a little differently. Maybe with some built-in mechanisms that will prevent these people from, from doing, practicing such violence in their lives, from drifting off into such realms of darkness. But to do that would be to make a couple different mistakes. The first would be to think that anything that's happened so far in human history came as a surprise to God. It didn't. He's not surprised by anything. The first 1,600 years of human history, they weren't an experiment. God wasn't wondering, okay, if I make these people, how's this all going to shake out? Let's see what happens here. This will be kind of entertaining. This will be kind of interesting. No, 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 no. God knows everything. And he not only knows what happened in the past. He not only knows what is happening presently, but he knows what has yet to happen. Psalm 147.5, great is the our Lord and abundant in power, his understanding is beyond measure. First John 3.20, it tells us God knows all things. Psalm 139 says this, O oh Lord, you've searched me and known me, which is, when you think about it, a scary thought, that God knows everything inside of you. And the psalmist says, You know when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You searched out my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways, even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in, behind and before, lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is, is too wonderful for me. It's high. I can't attain it. Have you ever felt like your life was in the hands of someone who just didn't know what they were doing? Like someone was just lobbing different troubles your way to see how you're going to deal with it. To see how you'll react. That's not the way God works. You and I may not know what is coming right around the corner, but there's someone who does. God knows exactly what is coming and he's not surprised by any of it. And that leads into the second major mistake that we could fall into and it would be to think that God is just playing all of this by ear he's he's just responding to things oh well that's they did that okay well let's think this through. okay now how, what, what's the wise thing to do here No, no 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 God's not doing that He's not just responding. He knew everything before it even began. He actually declared how it was all going to unfold. He determined how that would be. And it may not always make sense to us, but everything fits into his greater plan. And we see in Isaiah 46, 8, remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God. There is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish my purpose. This is not an experiment.
1: Not at all.
0: God knows exactly what he wants to accomplish. He knows how it will be accomplished. And he is going to accomplish it precisely the way that he has determined. So God's not changing his plan here. This is all part of the plan that he had from the beginning that is actually now just unfolding. God doesn't say to Noah, you know... I spared you and your family because you had faith in me, but I know that the streams of darkness, they still flow through your veins. I'm going to sterilize you, Noah. You understand, nothing personal, but your race is a mess, and I'm going to start over with a new breed of superhuman, super righteous, super perfect, super, these people are going to just worship me and obey me. Now he doesn't do that. Instead, he gives the same command that he gave to Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and multiply. He wants them to have life. He wants life to flourish. Didn't Jesus say that he came to give life? John 10.10. I came that they might have life. And not just life. I want them to have it abundantly. Abundantly. And what a blessing this is. Have have you taken time to think about it on a day like Father's Day? To think about the incredible blessing it is to have family? And this isn't just something specific for God's chosen people. This is for all human life. We all get this incredible blessing. Be fruitful and multiply. Everyone do this. This is one of the greatest, most fulfilling things in life that God has gifted us with. This special relationship that is, that is experienced between husbands and wives in marriage. God designed them for that. And then from that close, intimate, personal relationship comes children if you've been to the park lately, if you just sat there and had a sandwich and watched the faces of moms and dads as they interact with their kids, and the smiles that are there, this is one of the greatest joys in life, to care for, to protect, to provide, to love, and be loved, to watch young life grow, and smile, and laugh, and play, and learn. It's it's the best. It's the best. And God blesses the human race with this. Really, God? You, you really? After all of this, 1,600 years, on the, on the chart it just kept going down and down and down into deeper darkness, and you want them to expand, to increase? God made it clear that those who were going to come from Noah's family they would still be wicked. In fact, in 8.21, this is after the flood, he says the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. He's talking about Noah and his family and the people that are going to come from Noah and his family. And even so, God still blesses in this wonderful way. Even even for those who don't recognize God for who he is. Even those who don't worship him. Even those who say, you know, God, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Even those who say, you know what, God, I am opposed to you and I will do anything and everything to lead people away from you and to do everything in my power to offend you with my life. Even for those, he gives this common grace. God is good. And in his goodness... In his goodness, he wants human life to increase. So much so that he even repeats this command. Did you catch that when we read through the passage? He repeats this command. It's in verse 1 and it's in verse 7. Again, he says, Be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. That's blessing number one. But there's more. There's more. God offers protection from the animals. Look at verse 2. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. If you'll remember back when we were studying chapters 1 and chapter 2, you saw how God gave Adam and God gave Eve dominion over the animal kingdom. He was to be fruitful, he was to multiply on the earth, and then he was to subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So there was a mastery that human beings were supposed to have over animals. He gave them the authority to name the animals. Remember chapter 2, verse 19, how God brought all of the animals to Adam. And it says, now out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. What a privilege God is giving Adam here. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name man, if I build something, if I create something, I want that right to be able to say, this is what you're, how you're supposed to refer to it. This is what it's called. I'm the creator. I'm the boss. I made this, and this is what it is. No, no, no. God gives that privilege to his creation. And it seems here, in, in just chapter 2, verse 19, it seems like there's a certain harmony that's going on. He doesn't spell it out specifically, but it seems like there's actually some type of relationship between the creature man that God created and the animal kingdom as well. I think, I don't know this for sure, but I think that the animals came when Adam called them. I wish my two-year-old daughter would do that. I think they, they came to him. I think that they looked up to him. I think that when animals saw Adam and Eve walking the grounds, they went, whoa, that they're just like the creator. They're just like the one who made all of this, who made me. I think there was a regard. I think there was respect. I think there was a natural affinity for humanity. No reason to fear. No inclination to attack. This was good. And yet I think all of this was lost. All of this was tainted when Adam and Eve decided to go their own way. All of a sudden things fell apart all at once. Humanity, you can't be trusted. You were made in the image of God and now look what, you're against my creator. All at once they were potential enemies. I can remember Back, uh, I went on a mission trip with Don Rogers in Kenya and there was one particular day where they gave us a day off from doing all the different things we were doing and we got to go do fun stuff. They took us first to this farm where a man had blocked off acres and acres and acres of land to keep giraffes. And so we went to this place and, and you just pull up, it's like any other farm, and they're like, there are giraffes there, this is Amazing and they were, they were blocked in by just, you see it a little bit there, just this, this ragtag fence. It, it, it was easy to climb over. There were parts in it where you could just kind of sneak through, so we did. And now we're walking in this pasture with giraffes. And everyone else kind of held back, but you know what? I couldn't do that. So I just very carefully, very slowly crept up, to these giraffes, and there was one in particular, I think they call them the male a bull, and I was, I was coming up to the largest giraffe, and I got to the point where I was, it felt like 10 feet, but it was probably like 30, and I, I, I'm looking up at this giraffe just completely in awe, and, and for that moment, there, there was a connection, I felt it. It was like separated from time and space for so long. All of a sudden, we're reunited, and it feels so good. This is, this is great. Yes, we were meant to be together. How are you, big fella? And then, disturbing my moment, I heard way out in the distance the voice of this African man saying, Get out! Get out of there! He will kill you! <laughs> so rude. There doesn't seem to be that special relationship anymore between human beings and animals. And I know there's still, some people say there's some type of special relationship. Still, they still savor with their pets. I, I've never experienced that. I don't know what that's like. I'll let you deal with that. But for the most part, the animal kingdom, there is this, there's a sense of fear. There is a sense of danger, not the way it was supposed to be. And so this fear we see mentioned here in chapter 9, verse 2, I think this fear is a result of the fall. I think it's a result of human sin. And yet at the same time, I think that this fear that God is talking about here in verse 2, that this is another element of blessing. Another element of blessing. That is, God causes this these animals to fear and have a certain dread, I think that's a form of protection, a protection for human beings. Imagine if animals had no fear of human beings. Imagine how just about everyone would probably be coming trying to attack you. That little fifi that looks so cute and cuddly now would just be bent on like scratching your eyes out. How much better is it that they do fear us rather than just look at us as the fallen creatures that we are, people that rebelled against the Creator, wrecked the world that they live in, and just want to kill us. I think this is a blessing. This is a protection that God gives us with. At the end of verse two, he says, into your hand they are delivered. Now, there are a lot of people that want to argue that human beings are no better, no different than animals, and they believe that, hey, we all come from the same place, we're just a little bit more evolved than those animals that we see or those pets that we keep around in our home. Some will argue that animals are just as important. Some will argue that killing an animal for food, well, that's just like committing murder. Some actually argue that because of the prominence of the human race and the impact that that has had on the animal kingdom, that human beings actually need to, if they're they moral, they need to do everything in their power to reduce their population. We need to reduce the human Uh, footprint on this earth so the animal kingdom can once again take over and thrive because you know what we should not be the dominant species on the planet and I know of one website actually actually it's a church they call themselves and they actually have patron saints and they are committed to encouraging human beings to commit suicide Encourage human beings to commit suicide. They're encouraging human beings to abort their children. They're encouraging human beings to practice cannibalism and other such disgusting things. That's not biblical. Not by a long shot. Because according to God's word, human beings, they've been set apart. They've been made special. Your mom always told you you were special. Now the Bible's telling you that. You're men made special. God makes that clear in Genesis 1. We're to have dominion over the animal kingdom. He says it again here in Genesis 9. God's intention was for people to rule the animal kingdom and all the earth. Now that doesn't give us license to be cruel, to do inhumane things to animals. They need to be respected as creatures that have been made by God. And yet even so, we've got to keep that, that in check that God makes it very clear here in Genesis 9. And this might be a struggle for you, but I don't know how else to get around this passage. I don't want to get around this passage. It's here. We got This is God's word. We have to listen to it. The animals, God said, are for your benefit. Into your hand they're delivered. And I think that's because God cares for human life. He cherishes it. It's precious to him. In verse 3 it says, Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. Now, God didn't mention anything about using the animals for food in Genesis 1. He doesn't mention anything about that. I think that's because death hadn't entered the picture by then. But here in chapter 9, we see God is encouraging them to be eaten. In fact, all of them He says, and I think all of them, and I start thinking of the animals I see at the zoo, and I'm just like, I don't think I want to eat that. But he says every moving thing. There's a certain liberty here. God says, I want you to thrive. You, I care for you. I want you to live. You're precious to me. Now, some might say, well, what about all those dietary restrictions we see in the Mosaic law? We see them in Leviticus 11. We see them in other places. Yeah, but you have to realize that this law here is a law given to all humanity. And the Mosaic law was given to a specific people. It was given to Israel who were to be set apart from others around them. This, though, is the Noahic covenant. This applies to all the people of the earth. And also you have to remember that God makes it very, very clear that the dietary restrictions in the Mosaic Law, that those don't apply to the church. Peter had a vision in Acts 10, three times. And God says, don't consider to be unclean what I have declared to be clean. I have made clean. So just as Noah and his family were free to eat any animals that they liked, The same is true for us. Now, you might be a vegetarian, you might be a vegan. I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with that. But you're not that way because of the Bible. Not that way because God says you have to be that way. God wants human beings to be free to make use of the animals he created. This is God's goodness. He wants to bless human life. The only restriction he gives is in verse 4. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is its blood. And I think that even this is a protection for people. With sin in the world, things exist like bacteria, things exist like viruses, things exist like disease. And I think this is protection. God's saying food needs to be cooked. You, you, you don't eat, you don't drink the blood, you don't eat the blood. It, it, even today, we see warnings all over the place on the food we buy. Even with the technology and the high standards that the Food and Drug Administration has for our food, we still have those labels on our food, don't we? They say, be careful, don't eat. I sit down at a restaurant and it says, warning, you know, eating raw or uncooked meat, you know, blah, blah, blah. We still have that. I think God wants us to live. He's good to us. He's caring for humanity. Thirdly, blessing comes in the form of prohibition. Prohibition against taking a life. Look at verse 5. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And for man, for his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of a man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Here we go again. There's heated debate when it comes to the issue of capital punishment. Very heated debate. And yet here in Genesis 9, God makes it clear where he stands. Human life is so sacred, so precious to him, that when human blood is spilled, the payment that is due in full is the life of the one who spilled it. And it doesn't matter if it was an animal. It doesn't matter if it was another human being. The punishment is the same. Why is this such a big deal? Why does God care so much about that? Well, he makes it clear right here at the end of verse 6. It's because human beings have been made in the image of God. And now, even after they've turned away from God, even this is after the fall, Even after the fall, even after they've turned against God, after they've sinned, after they've corrupted themselves, after their hearts have been darkened, after, remember what God said in chapter 8, the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth, even then they are still image bearers there's still something fundamentally special about human beings that makes their lives sacred. And to assault a human being, to, to attack, to kill, well, that is to make an attack on the image of God, on the representative of God. And for that, God says, there has to be a consequence. And this punishment is a, is a protection, God's making it known that violence against humanity, it must not go unpunished. This is actually a blessing to us. Unless we think that this is just some antiquated, Old Testament kind of thing, we need to realize that Jesus actually affirmed this in Matthew 26. Peter goes and lobs off the ear of a soldier. Jesus takes that ear and puts it back up, and he makes it clear that those who live by the sword shall die by the sword as well. And there are other places in the New Testament that affirm it as well. Now we need to be careful because God isn't saying here, go do what Lamech did. Someone offends you, someone hurts you, someone kills one of your own, well you go right out and you take them down. He's not saying that. But he's setting up a societal responsibility here. As people collectively form, as governments rise, for the good of the people who have been made in God's image, they're to protect human life by requiring this form of payment. Blessing upon blessing upon blessing. God's encouraged them to produce life. God has given them protection and provision from animals. Now he's given them protection from themselves. And finally, he guarantees protection from himself. Verse 8. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, every beast of the earth with you, as many as come out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I'll establish my covenant with you. And what's the covenant? That never again, never again, shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Anyone else would have said, they would have said look, you, you saw what I do- did? Do you see what I just did? You want that to happen again? Dads, have you ever used this? You see this? I just made an example of them. You don't want this to happen to you. You color between the lines from now on, buddy. You straighten up and fly right or else. Instead, we see him saying, I promise never to do this again. This won't happen again. God, why? He didn't need to make this promise. He doesn't do it because he had second thoughts. You know, (laughs) wow. I got a little heated back there, I overreacted a little bit, and I I let off a little steam. Okay, I won't do that again. Yeah, that was probably a a little over the top. No, he doesn't do that, because that was right, and that was good, and that was justified, and that was God being true to his character, and true to his holiness, and saying, no, sin needs to be punished. And we look at that, and we need to to mark that and say, yes, my sin needs to be punished. The wrongs that I do, no matter how small I think that they are, they are not small in God's eyes. He takes it very, very seriously. And yet here, he makes a promise and says, I'm not going to do that again. You know what this is? This is just an expression of his grace It's just his goodness just pouring out. His desire to bless. He doesn't do it but because he has to. He, he does it because God is pro-life. Pro-human life. Verse 12 says, God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. Set my bow in the cloud. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. This is the sign and seal of the promise. This covenant that God is making, it's it's visibly shown to us through the rainbows that we see to this day, that we might remember his goodness to us, to you. Is that what you're thinking of when you see the rainbow, or are you thinking about cereal? Thinking about those lucky charms? Maybe you're thinking about something else. I'll tell you what you should be thinking about. You should be thinking about God's goodness to you. Because God's promise never to flood the earth again is a sign of his grace. And when we're reminded of God's grace, it should lead us, it should draw our attention directly to the ultimate grace he has given us in Jesus Christ and the cross that he bore for you. And for me, so that we might be forgiven. God is good. He's so good. Verse 14, "When I bring the clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. It's not that God's worried that he's going to forget. So I'm, I'm marking my calendar. I'm getting out my, my, my watch, and I'm typing it in. So, okay, it's going gonna, it's gonna to beep. It's going to beep when I get heated. It's going to detect my heart rate, and it's going to say, okay, simmer down, simmer down. Remember the rainbow? No, 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 no. Just like we read in chapter 8. Remember verse 1? God remembered Noah. It wasn't that he forgot Noah but it's an indicator that God is a God who is faithful, a God who keeps his promises who abounds in steadfast love. The rainbow, it bears witness to him and to us that from everlasting to everlasting, he's the God who keeps his word. Do you have things that you are looking to, looking to God and saying, God, I just hope you remember me. I hope that promise that I saw in your book, I hope that's still true today. I hope that, that, that when, when I finally cross that great divide and now I stand in your presence, that trusting in you, trusting what Jesus did on the cross, I hope that you'll remember that. I hope that's the way the game is still played. And you know what? You could look at this and you could look at the rainbow and you can say, God is a God of his word. He is true. He is faithful. He will keep his promise to you and to me. You can trust him. You can rely upon him. You can depend on him. You can fall backwards into his arms and be sure that he will do what he said he will do because he's good and he cares and your life is precious to him. You know, to wrap this up, there's a question that all of this begs, all of this goodness, all this pro-life, God, is, life is precious to God. Well, why is it precious to God? Why does he care? Did God create human beings just because he's such a nice guy? Did God create human beings because he was lonely and just wanted somebody to talk to? Did he make us because he was just bored and wanted a hobby? Kind of like an ant farm? Is that why he made us? No! God made human beings in his image for his glory. We know that from verses like Genesis 1.27. We know that from Isaiah three You've been made for his glory. So as they enjoy and thrive on the good things he's provided for them, as they enjoy friendships and marriage and children and delicious food and protection from wild animals and protection from each other, he's going to get glory for that. As humanity trusts him, and relies on him, he's going to get glory as he holds them accountable for their sin. His justice is going to be put on display and yes, he gets glory for that. As he keeps his promises, remains faithful to his word, he gets glory. As he continues to abound in steadfast love and faithfulness towards imperfect, wretched, disobedient people, he gets Glory As he sends Jesus Christ to die on the cross in a spectacular display of self-sacrifice and love, he gets glory for that. As he rescues sinners and they praise his name and they gather together as the church and they seek to live lives of obedience and spread the good news about him to others, he's going to get glory for that. And when we see people and they're finally with him, we are gathered together. And we're enjoying him fully as we were meant to from the beginning, experiencing that abundant everlasting life. He gets glory. God is pro life, He is pro glory. Do you know Him? Do you know Him? Whether you acknowledge it or not, you're a recipient of His goodness. You don't have to be on the good side to be experiencing the blessings that God has given in spite of who you are, in spite of your shortcomings, in spite of your failures and flaws. He has been good to you. He is being good to you. He's given you the basic things that human beings can enjoy. But even more than that, he's given his son, Jesus Christ, so that you might escape the coming judgment. So that you might be forgiven your sin, washed clean, saved from that judgment, have your relationship with him restored, and be increasingly transformed to look more like the image bearer that you were made to be, and then promised eternity in paradise. God is so good. If you don't know him, you can, and it's as easy and as hard as confessing your sin and saying, God, I I am a person who needs you. I am fallen. I have done things that were not honoring to you. I'm a sinner. I deserve the flood. I deserve whatever judgment you have coming for me, Lord. But I know know that's that's where I'm at, but I I also know that Jesus Christ took my judgment upon himself at the cross, and he paid for my sin there. I want that applied to me. I trust him. I trust you. Wash me clean. Make me new. If you don't know him, trust him. If you do know him, thank him and trust him. (laughs) Keep, Keep a running list of the blessings that he has given you. You'll run out of ink, trust me. You'll run out of paper a good thing for digital technology, but you know what? You'll eventually run out of terabytes because the blessings, they just go on and on and on. Make it your mission to sing praises to Him. Is your life characterized by joy as you get up in the morning, as you're, you're brushing your teeth, as you're interacting with others? Is joy just exuding from you because you're so Overwhelmed at the blessing of this good God who wants you to live. Stand in awe of his majesty, for he is great and greatly to be praised. Worship him with arms held high, hearts abandoned, for he's good, he cares, and life is precious to him. Let's pray. Lord, we